Hey, all my buddies. Welcome to the Gerald Field Report. My name is Casey. Joining me here is my good buddy, Phony, and we had an idea at 11 o'clock last night uh, <laughs> that we were going to start a Hey Arnold recap podcast because in the year of some of our Lord 2019, never has the fevered brow of our nation needed its soothing, cool jazz more. So, um, Phony, why don't you uh, do a little intro? Tell the folks at home about yourself. I'm Anthony. Uh, I've been doing podcasts for as long as Casey has Four been years. doing podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, four years this month, actually, uh, since we dropped the first Semi-Automagic. I am the Peabody Award-winning host of the famed podcast, Fun with Fungus, uh, as you That's guys true. know. Going on, it's like 10th the season. The famous Fungus podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's getting big reviews. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I thought we would lead in just with our... Yeah, I'm just going to cut the bits off real quick and see if we can... <laughs> that's always... Just walk away one joke early has become my go-to. <laughs> it served me very well. All right. So, I thought we'd we'd start in with our... Thony, tell me, what is your... What is the genesis of your relationship with Hey Arnold? What's the first thing you remember? Okay. So, uh... For the longest time when I was watching Nickelodeon, I remember that 8, 8 p.m., it was a cutoff. It was time for, for Nick, Nick at Night, night. Uh, I Love Lucy, and Happy Days Reruns uh, until Gilligan's I fell asleep. Uh, I was never a big Gilligan's Island fan. Like, like the yeah, show's no, been on me this neither. It always came on, and I found something else to watch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that was the problem was, was yeah, sure, my bedtime wasn't until 30, <clears> but... but I had nothing to watch, especially like on a Friday night. Like, like it was really hard. So, uh, I remember like Nickelodeon had this ad campaign. It was a big, huge deal. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. We are extending our, our kid broadcasting to eight 30. Mm-hmm. And instead of just putting on Rugrats or Doug or one of these staples, they came out with like five new shows all at mm-hmm. once. Uh, and, yep, they did this. They did the Angry Beavers. Um, Kablam, which Kablam. Uh, like Hey Arnold got me into jazz. Kablam got me into ska. But that's a, that's a <laughs> so that's now a, we know who to blame for your Aquabats obsession. But but I also remember like well going back. We're going to talk about the first episode in a few minutes. But going back, yeah, this is not the first episode I remember watching. Like I feel like no, there the was another episode. There was an episode that they were showing, like, on, like, like a half, you know, ten-minute, five-minute, whatever episode uh, mm-hmm, on daytime TV. Segment. Yeah, uh, that really, like, got yep. you interested in this kind of world and, and like... Was that the one where Arnold did a, uh, a little dance number? He brought out his, yeah. his boombox, the little promo yeah. one? Well, I was hoping you'd bring that up. I remember seeing that in the theater... Before uh, they showed Harriet the Spy, I went to the pictures with my mother to see Harriet the Spy in 1996, and they did a bunch of little shorts beforehand, I believe advertising that very block of, like, next wave Nicktoons that you were just talking about, and Hey Arnold was on one, the short where, the short where like, Harold and, and his gang, you know, the, the exact hostility of which varied from episode to episode as you know the needs of the story dictated but like all of them like hey fuck you arnold you're a weird little guy and we don't like you on this day and he was like okay then i'm gonna do a little dance number and win the hearts and minds of the people and he did so so um we'll talk about it because that episode comes up in like a later episode during season Mm -hmm. one uh, but the one that we saw at Harriet the Spy, I don't think I saw it during Harriet the Spy. I think I might have seen it on Nickelodeon TV. But mm-hmm. they're completely different. Like, the one you saw right. was definitively a pilot episode. And and seeing seeing the differences between the two, like, because I went back. Start contrast. I, I, I did a watch through, like, two years ago. And, and like, I went back and I rewatched the pilot episode. Because I was really confused why... Uh, downtown is fruits which is the episode we're about to start talking about was the first thing also and something something that rarely gets talked about in in the the hey arnold subreddit i don't know i don't go on reddit that was a goof that i regretted immediately casey cut all of this um there were actually a series of claymation shorts that i believe were like the real core oh my god like the very oh my god they were on peewee's playhouse what? No. Yes. I'm looking this up. Keep talking. Um, I'm almost positive they were. Uh, Son of a 
bitch. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Arnold escapes from church. The Arnold Waltz. Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah, with Penny and the creepy Penny eyes. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. That is the perfect place for this show to have come from. There was also... I know Nick Magazine, like, back in, like, Mm -hmm. 93 or something. uh, He also did, like, claymation comics of Arnold. So this this show has existed within my childhood for way longer than I remember it. I never watched the 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 Hey Arnold shorts on Pee-wee's Playhouse, but I did watch Pee-wee's Playhouse all the time. (laughs) One thing about this show that I like really struck me as a, you know, six, seven, eight year old, all the way up until I think I was eleven. I don't remember how long the show lasted before it stopped. Um but I think it got five it got five seasons and a movie, but the seasons were intermittent. I don't believe it was a straight shot. It it left and came back a couple times. Um and the movie, I believe, was a distant finale. I think it came out like two years after the end of the show. So the show like 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 made me feel emotions that I had never felt as a child before. Yep. There's and here's the word I keep coming back to because I just right now just before we started I just watched the first two proper episodes, which is you know the first four story beats, yeah. four story parts, and like this sense of just like melancholy pervades it. That like it would not surprise me if this show were made today. It would not surprise me if they took the big swing and had Arnold like have full fledged depression. Because that's something that comes up again and again. uh, What's fascinating, and I think as we get into some of the later episodes where they started to get to heavier storyline, there was actually a sequel series planned called The Patakis uh, that was going to air on MTV uh, for specifically Mm -hmm. teenage audiences. And uh, The Pataki family is is a very, very interesting case study in what is and isn't acceptable to tell a child. Yes. We'll talk about that when we get into later episodes dealing specifically with yeah. that family. Mommy doesn't get drunk. She just has fun. She likes yeah. smoothies and has a love affair with her blender. And They're mama's special smoothies is what they are. Well, the first episode, um, which I, like you said, it's it's not what you would consider a pilot in that it doesn't take any special pains to introduce the characters or do any real, like, set and setting introduction. It's just an episode. And honestly, I think that's pretty smart because... You know, especially with shows with this short of a runtime, they live and die by how quickly you can pick up what's happening. That's one of the reasons Arrested Development was, commercially speaking, a failure, was because the entire show was one huge in-joke that built on itself for three seasons and then got canceled because nobody could understand what the fuck was happening if they weren't watching from the first episode. Right. So, in the first episode, dude, this title sequence, though, it's so good. Okay, well, you got to go back and watch. Next time you watch for for this, you have to go out and just watch it carefully. The music, I don't think we're breaking any ground when we say that the music in Hey Arnold is absolutely incredible. Not even, like, on a, you know, children's television show from the mid-90s level, but, like, it's legitimately incredible music that I had never heard anything like as a child. I did not grow up in a jazz household. Sorry, when you're talking about the titles, you're not talking about, like, the, the opening theme song. Or yeah, the opening okay. thing. That's, that, that's, that's where I was like, I was a little confused because yeah, the opening, the yeah, opening titles, yeah, it's fantastic. And all of it so synchronized. The boys and the girls doing like their badass walks together up and down the street, and like when Helga yells Arnold, and it's there, it's painted on the street, and she is the exclamation point yeah. to the Arnold. It's yeah. so, it's so good, and it it does such a good job of setting up the way these characters really interact with the world. Because, like, I didn't grow up in a big city. It was... The way it was portrayed was extremely foreign and exotic to me, and I had no way of knowing, like, how much of an exaggeration their depiction of big city life was. But they managed to keep it really small scale by having the city around them just kind of be an extension of the characters, right? Yeah. I mean, like, like, uh, when we get into later episodes, they talk about... What you're seeing is the neighborhood, their neighborhood, and, and right. like everything else is is you know out of picture. But like like I think that's one of the first things that really struck with me as a six year old who rolled the school bus to school every day is these kids are taking mm-hmm. fucking public transportation to get to their yeah school. not not a school bus not their mommy dropping them off just 
them right? getting on a public bus at nine years old and and going to school like like that was like I've lived in in Palmdale my entire life that something mm-hmm. like that was unheard of for me no that's bonkers yeah I was driven to school until high school and then uh at high school I was driven to the curb by high school and then walked from there like it's just uh, and I think part of the the core really cool conceit of this show is that Arnold has always seemed like hyper competent. He's always seemed really grown up and in control of his life. And he was like the cool, extremely smart kid that we all wanted to be. And I think a lot of that was kind of his characterization as this. And it sounds, it sounds really dumb to say like city kid, but he was, he was extremely self-sufficient. You know, he had his own money. He and his friends went to do things. He was gone all day and his grandparents didn't know where he was. And that was just such the, the opposite of my lifestyle. Not because I was like kept in my house against my will or anything, but like I just stayed inside and read and played video games. That's all I did. And so to see Arnold and his pals just like, yeah, we're going to go to the beach today. We're not going to tell anybody. We're, well, we're just going like, to go like do this, it. It's this, fine. This is, this is like a perfect transition to what actually happens in this episode. Is, exactly. Is, well, okay. So let's let, let me give you like a little bit of a rundown. Uh, Helga is producing yeah. a play about the food pyramid, right? Uh, Correct. Uh, I think this is also a really great introduction to Helga as a character specifically. Um, yes. I think far too often, like uh, TV shows, like, uh, and I think the best, uh, and now, like, what is it? comparison to this show would be Rugrats. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the same kind of beats in this show. Uh, but you have Angelica. Yeah, a lot of the same character types. Who is a blonde bully. Uh, Angelica's yes. a blonde bully. Uh, not particularly smart, not particularly witty, just there to cause destruction on the main character. Uh, to be an antagonist and an agent of chaos. So, so yeah. you do have Helga, who is an antagonist and an agent of chaos within the show, but she, but a much deeper character. She, she's a fucking nine year old who uh, has enough artistic ability uh, to produce, write, and like like make songs for a show that a school yeah. decides to actually let her produce on an actual stage in their auditorium. Like yeah. I know. Like, I don't remember, I don't remember seeing this episode on the air when I was a kid. I'm sure I did at some point, but I, I guarantee you it would not have landed with me the way it did when I watched this an hour ago that, like, oh, this is her play 100%. Like, this isn't something the school is doing and they're just being made to do. This is her initiative. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, it really is. And Helga's, Helga's character and her not, um, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, where everything's split. The dichotomy. The dichotomy between her, you know, just absolute viciousness and cruelty and the the softness and vulnerability it hides inside is, uh, it's it's the core of her character. It's the soul and center of her. And that, that eternal, like, struggle she has, which is really interesting when you take a look at her parents. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, we'll, 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 like, I don't want to, like... I'm I'm really hoping that there's someone listening to this podcast who has never seen Hey Arnold and has picked up this podcast and decided to watch through episodes Just give it a shot. with us yeah. as we're talking. So I'm really going right. to try to not delve into, especially because these first few episodes are are pretty pretty light uh, in terms. Yeah, of, pretty standalone. Uh, not not to have anything to do with much. All right, so it's a play. Uh, it's going on. I we get our first. We get our first appearance of Monkey Man. Yeah, that's the first thing I wrote was was yep. oh my god, Monkey Man is in the first Monkey episode. Monkey Man. Like like that is something that completely like uh never paid attention to it, never never noticed him until the Monkey Man episode shows. Uh, and, and then, then you, you saw back, him and everywhere. Then you see him everywhere. Like it's crazy. Yep. Um it's really good, and that's that's something I love when you go back and watch something you think you know really well. And it's, like we just wa- we just did a run up of Seinfeld. Like I had never watched the whole thing, and so we just burned through it in a couple of weeks. I was astounded at things that I thought were series long goofs, like Festivus. Festivus comes up once, once yeah. in the final season, and that's it. And like other bullshit, like uh. 
Art Vandalay, Vandalay Import, Export, and Architecture, that's a first-season joke. It's like in the yeah. first half-dozen episodes, and they carry it through, what is it, seven, nine seasons? Something like that, and just... You know, you you have this understanding of a thing in the back of your head without without real you know dissection of its points, and yeah, like Monkey Man is there from go. He's just yeah. he's he's a core part of this world, and I love that that is something they they do to really give this city character is that you've got these real uh real tarot card sort of characters out there just doing their own completely separate thing. Yeah. And, you know, some days the kids run into them, and they just have a weird little mini-adventure, and then Monkey Man goes on his way. And that was just what happened yeah. that day. It's really good. Okay, so, <laughs> is Gerald supposed to sound like Bill Cosby in the pilot, do you think? I, I don't... I, I, like, I... I mean, if we want to talk about changing voices, Arnold had, like, six different voice four. actors in, in the entire Yeah, four series. voice actors. Yeah, uh... I mean, I'm sure that was a choice that Gerald was making right then and there. I never really got a Bill Cosby thing from it, but I do think that they were trying to go, oh, like, what does a stereotypical inner city kid sound like? And, right. And, and and walking the line between, like, embracing and endorsing stereotype and also finding what what can be not not... I'm not saying necessarily, like, the truth in stereotype, but, you know, stereotypes can be based on things, and then they get exaggerated, and then they get turned into negative, hurtful stuff, and and just, like, finding the root of that. But, uh, yeah, the voice, the voice acting is really strong, like, from go. Helga is, per- I think we get two Helga voice actors no, throughout no. the run of the series? No, no, Helga is consistent is it just the throughout, one? Uh, even when they did the the Jungle movie like two years which ago. means they had an adult voice her and she still sounded good like it was yep. crazy so yeah I, I think like arnold you gotta realize like arnold is a child a child is voicing arnold right now and to convey right. that like we talk about melancholy like his voice like from the get-go has this, this incredibly meta- expressive yeah melancholy to it he really is kind of a run-down character, and I think that's what made him so appealing, is that even as a, you know, a six- and eight-year-old, I'm watching this show, and he's supposed to be in, what, fourth grade? But he seemed he seemed like a grown-up version of a kid, but also he was relatable enough that I was like, me too, Arnold. Same, well, okay. man. So that, that also reminds me, like, for the first few episodes, uh, they took a really Walter Mitty approach to to him like i definitely yeah, feel like sequences. they they drop it but but the fact that that arnold has this fantastical imagination and the first right. like three episodes start out with him just somewhere else and and doing... yeah he's in a jungle he's surfing and there are dinosaurs yeah. which i mean you could you could cast a glance over at doug and see that you know maybe maybe they took a beat there because kids daydreaming is a is a fairly universal thing. But yeah, they ground the character pretty quickly because he's that's one of the staples of Arnold's character moving forward is that he is very like centered and grounded yeah. and he knows himself and he acts from a place of confidence within himself. And the very few occasions that he that he moves away from that are notable and they're big story events in which he learns a lot. So something. Something I wanted to talk about real quick is that they are on stage. Helga is directing. Uh, all, all the kids are dressed up as the food groups because this is the play she's making. It's about, you know, the food groups, the human body, all this. And she's going around and saying, first, the legumes. And le- all these kids dressed up as legumes say, legumes? I thought we were beans. You are genius. And it just moves past that. Something I love and have always loved are shows and media in general that teach kids things without saying, hey, I'm teaching you something. And that is a fantastic example. Uh, Nicktoons especially did an incredible job of this. The one I always go back to, always, 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 is an episode of The Angry Beavers where uh, Norb and Dag are fighting about something. I don't remember what. And Norb says, don't you patronize me. And Dag says, I don't shop here. And it just moves on. And it's a really dumb joke, but even at six years old, I'm like, oh, okay, I get what that means now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something. I'll I'll randomly blurt it out, like... 10 minutes yeah. into this. Well, there's, and there's another one in, in the Lockjaw episode later on where Arnold is describing a situation to Grandma, and she freaks out on him, and he says, no, no, Grandma, it's a hypothetical situation. And, like, if this were any other show, 
he, there would be a tag on that. He would say, it's a hypothetical situation. It's not real. It's not really happening to yeah. you. But this show trusted kids to put that together from context, which is always the smart move. Um, I read Kelsey Grammer's autobiography a few years ago, and it was... Boy, was it something. Um, That cat's had a hard life, and it has led to some choices in his world. But one of the things he very firmly believes as a longtime Shakespearean actor is that you always play up to your audience. Always. You always give them the benefit of the doubt. You always give them credit. You always assume that they are at least as smart as you are. And that is one of the things that this show consistently did that made it really enjoyable and a really formative watch for me not only as a kid but like as a creative like you you and i both make stuff we make stuff that's full of dumb jokes and at at any point you know you could take a given joke and say is my audience smart enough to get this and then i'll say of course they are my audience is geniuses (laughs) and you got to put that in there because otherwise what's the point so um back to the lagoons uh, I yes. noticed something that that really struck me. me. Uh, this is the first appearance of Peapod Kid. Yes, and the reason Peapod Kid is named Peapod Kid is because he wore a fucking Peapod costume in the first yep. episode, <laughs> and he just became Peapod. Yeah, Kid. like, but I mean, like, why didn't any of the other people just get named after their specific food group when they're, you know? When they were all participating in the play. But no, him specifically, Mm -hmm. and, like, either his name was Peapod and Helga just put him in that position because why wouldn't you? Or he just has really mean friends. Yeah, the... Okay, so I I went to a very small school, uh, my entire... Like, and I mean, like, total school size for maybe 500 kids. My entire, you know, 3rd through 12th grade experience. And so, you were you were crammed in there, you knew everybody, and, like, e- even though I didn't go to a big public school, and a lot of the stuff about public school in this show was really foreign and exotic to me. Kind of like the big city thing. Like, because I didn't know how big schools worked. I didn't even... I didn't really even understand why their school was inside. Because I'm from California. Yeah, Our schools yeah. are outside, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's no there are no hallways, there are individual buildings. But anyway, just the idea that this group of people in their class at PS one eighteen, like the relationships and the nature of those relationships and like the alliances in there are constantly shifting. Sometimes Harold's a bully, sometimes he needs Arnold's protection, sometimes Stinky is a big mean guy who really lives up to those spiky spiky bracelets, and sometimes he's a sensitive man who knows how to roll a mean pizza. Sometimes he's a vampire. Sometimes he's a vampire, and they're all really strong characters right from jump, and I think that affords the writers a lot of room to play with the combinations and relationships that offers. Okay, so uh, Arnold and Gerald decide that they're not actually going to participate in their play, and they do something... And why is that? Why is that, Thony? Because they don't want to? Because Helga's me? Because they don't want to be dressed as a strawberry and a banana, respectively. Yeah, if that was the case, why the fuck did Gerald not wear any clothes under his strawberry? <laughs> because polyester makes him sweat. Okay, but here's Tony. what I want to know. Does Gerald own the strawberry costume? <laughs> it's an excellent question. <laughs> Is did he rent it? Like like Did his parents have to put a deposit down? Like like no matter what, like that that strawberry costume. I mean, like the two of them That's theirs tossed, now. They own they, the that. The two of them tossed them in the, the dumpster a few minutes right. later. So, yeah. They do get them out eventually. But yeah, like like the Johansons, I don't know if we eventually get a better look at the Johansons and what they do for a living, but they own that strawberry costume yeah. now. Yeah. So, here's hoping they have strawberry costume money. Yeah. Uh they decide that they don't want to be in Helga's play because she is a tiny dictator. And uh, they decide that they're just going to ride the bus till the bus takes it wherever it's taking them. Which, yeah. again, like, as a, as a relative... Like, Lancaster and Palmdale aren't tiny, tiny towns, but they're not big city, right? Right. So the idea of just staying on a bus and riding it forever was terrifying to me. I mean, like, 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 I was six years old. These, these nine-year-old kids are just, first off, able right. to just take a city bus... To somewhere late yeah, at night, the autonomy, and then and then just decide, you know, we're just gonna go straight downtown, like like, and they they establish that downtown is is this kind of scary, shady, shady adult area, and yeah. and you come in with these preconceived notions about 
what's going to happen to them? Oh, these kids are probably going to get mugged. They're probably going to get hurt. They're probably going to get into some dangerous situation. They're probably going to learn a lesson about staying in your lane. But nope, Nope. it turns out that they're awesome at life. There's an element of, like, risk and reward in a lot of these shows because Arnold is so autonomous for a kid that he's, you know, in a, in a position to make a lot of his own decisions and take a lot of chances. So Gerald says, nah, dog, uh, fuck that play. We're not, we're not going to go literally sing and dance for Helga. We're not doing that. We're not pulling this bus cord. We'll just ride the bus till it takes us wherever it's taken us. And Arnold is lawful good. He has agreed to be in this play, presumably, or been strong-armed into it. He says, no, even though we hate Helga, we can't do that to her. And Gerald says, oh, we're not doing that to her. I'm doing that to her. (laughs) And so they just ride on. But instead of taking them somewhere interesting, they just end up at a bus depot. And one of the interesting things about this show is that this city is practically empty. Like, as soon as they get to the bus depot, the bus driver is gone. There's no bus driver to ask for help. There's no one working at the bus depot, apparently. They're just on their own in these fruit costumes. And you you see that a lot. Like, like, like... I don't know if it's just because maybe this is the perspective of a, of a nine-year-old. Like, you have to realize mm-hmm. this entire show is from the perspective of a nine-year-old. So, you're at a bus depot. You're lost. You're scared. Uh, of course, you're not going to think that nobody's there because nobody's there. But, right, it know, feels like you're really alone and isolated. Yeah, but the, the, this is what happens when, like, the the interesting thing is is none of this ever phases them. They're like, oh shit, no. I guess there wasn't anything interesting at the end of this fucking bus line. Well, we're in downtown. Let's go see what we can do. And as as we've all had happen to us, uh, yeah. they are downtown, realize they don't have any money, and a helpful stranger throws a bag of cash at them. Uh, yeah, a bag of stolen cash. At the... Stolen cash, which they take gratefully as a sign from the universe that they are doing the correct thing, and uh, they go off to get something to eat and some clothes that aren't fruit wear. <laughs> at which point, a couple of obvious criminals, by which I mean like central casting criminals, like one guy that looks like Popeye, one guy who's wearing three eye patches for some reason, show up dressed exactly as they are. So uh, the kids take the money, they go to like a groovy hippie shop and get decked out in cool hipster things, and that was a recurrent theme, is that Arnold is never not cool. He's always the coolest kid in the room, and it's so effortless. And You just, you want to be him. They go to a pool parlor, and, like, of course Arnold can shoot pool. He is the consummate, like, like competent hipster cool guy. He can do whatever he needs to, wherever he is. He's, he's, he's fucking cool enough that he's a nine-year-old, obviously going into an obvious adult establishment, and just has right. to be cool. Everybody loves him. He's dancing on the table, rooting the felt, like, like... Like, buying a round of sodas for the entire yeah. place. And, like, the obvious joke there is that he's a kid in a pool hall trying to buy sodas for everybody. And all of them are like, you know what? Yeah. A soda sounds great. Yeah, and he just, just he becomes the like... hero of the pool hall. Um, meanwhile, back at the play, there's a line I love so much. So, as you know, Thony, I have a mild to moderate obsession with Judaism. And looking yeah. back, uh, I think this show was a big factor in that. Because, you know, there are several Jewish characters, uh, several issues come up. Like, I did not predict in the pilot... That, like, there was one of the musical numbers where uh, they were doing a little song and dance about meats, and Eugene, who we meet properly in the next episode, is dressed as a ham and says, I'm a ham, you know I am, and if you keep kosher, I'm not in your routine. Yeah. Which, what? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I, mean, I, I get that this is supposed to be, like, New York or the city, right? And so maybe it was presumed that there would be, like, a higher Jewish population, that, higher than Lancaster had, anyway. <laughs> Well, what's interesting is is like Hey Arnold wasn't the first Jewish positive show on on Nicktoons. In fact, again, see Rugrats. Yeah, yeah, Rugrats. Rugrats. I think I think really really like solidified like like uh, you know my grandfather was Jewish. Like like my mother was a practicing Christian, but but being a Jew was was a huge part of my my heritage. So uh, right. like. Grew up with a Passover story, grew up with a Hanukkah story, and just two, those two specific episodes that the Rugrats did just centered around these very, very Jewish and very, very important stories in their culture. Um, 
mm-hmm. was crazy. So like Maca Baby's got to do what a Maca Baby's got to do. Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, seeing seeing that line didn't didn't phase me as much. Like it was awesome to hear. It was awesome to see, but it wasn't. Yeah, that it's good stuff. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, as a as a kid growing up, going to Christian school, uh, I didn't learn hardly anything about Judaism. There's the the number of things I'm coming to learn that I simply wasn't taught about uh, keeps growing and growing. Like I don't know about you, Fanny. Well, you're you're history major and a history teacher, so I'm certain your understanding is different. But like I was listening to Trevor Noah's uh, autobiography, the audiobook, which he reads, which is delightful, hard recommend. It's so good, but it's also really heartbreaking. Um. And he was talking about how uh, it's called Born a Crime, and he was a mixed child growing up in apartheid South Africa. He was literally illegal. Like, he wasn't allowed to exist. Um, But I realized reading that that I I just simply literally wasn't taught about apartheid growing up in the U.S. I, it just, it was never a subject that was brought up. It had nothing to do with our founding fathers, so who gives a damn? Exactly. It didn't it didn't reinforce the right to guns, so it wasn't relevant to Christian school. So anyway, um Arnold and Gerald are at the pool hall, and then the two dudes walk in, in the fruit costumes who are supposed to have gotten the money. Uh two plus two equals run the fuck away, and they do so. They duck into uh like a psychic's parlor, yeah. like a fortune telling um bistro. The great Zambini. And- <laughs> Or Zamboni. The great Zamboni. Or Zamboni. Zamboni. Yeah. Yeah, the great Zamboni, uh, who tells them that their their karma's all fucked up and they need to atone for their past deeds and shit. And they say, okay, well, because this has to take place in the context of this episode, obviously that refers to the thing we did 20 minutes ago. So let's go save the play. And he says, this show is so full of great, dumb jokes sometimes. Yeah. And one of them is that they run away without paying. And the great Zamboni says, hey, where's my 350? I should have foreseen yeah. this. And <laughs> that's all we see of the great Zamboni. And it was, it was very Fun good. Fun fact, this is, this is, this is the, this is the, he's the entire reason why I don't trust sidekicks. <laughs> that's fair. That's reasonable. Uh, he also, and uh, this is just something that I noticed watching last night. Uh, those, those things he kept in his eyes. Reminded me of the scary dude from We're Back a Dinosaur Story. And Yeah, I could see and that. It just did not sit, sit right with me. So No, it's reasonable. Uh, it was unsettling. They run back, they grab their costumes, they're going to save the day. Uh for, okay, so Casey, how long do you think they have been just fucking around downtown for? So that's that's an interesting question because portrayal of time in media is always a tricky business and especially especially from the perspective of a child. So I I think we're made to feel like it's taking all night, Uh right? Like they've been, they've been out there for hours. They get some famous goat burgers from a street side cart and make a joke about, I wonder if these have the four food groups in, they get their cool new duds. They go to the pool parlor. They run away from the bad guys. They visit a a psychic man. And it's so the the feeling is that it's, it's taken probably like five or six hours. It's all night. We cut back. The school play is still going. And, and, and like either like, Helga is as evil as they're talking about and has made her, her right. ham and steak perform acrobatic tricks for hours yep. upon hours until the fruits show up. Or, yep. or, uh, they did this in the span of 15 minutes. They got some money, bought right. some clothes, got a, got food, and then just bounced. And I'm assuming, yeah, like, uh, like an hour. And I'm assuming downtown is, is literally like just the next neighborhood a, over from a few where blocks. They are. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's another thing. When you're a kid, the world, you know, distances seem much larger. And, well, then again, if you're a city kid who has autonomy and the ability to travel, you have your own bus pass or whatever, um, then, you know, maybe the world doesn't quite seem so big and inaccessible. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, well, Helga does mention that the play has a fourth act, which is more than most plays have. (laughs) So um, there's really no way of knowing. But they show up, and they save the day at the last moment, and uh, hooray for plays that are saved at the end of the day. Okay, we we didn't touch upon something, but like halfway through the episode, it is revealed that that Helga is in love with Arnold. Correct. Like Like worryingly so. Yeah. uh, They touch upon like a really artistic side, which... um, I think I think it was a good choice in showing that this this 
this bully was was someone who was had a very poetic soul and stuff like that. that's really mm-hmm. good. I think that kind of reveal would have been better if this was in a later episode where she wasn't producing a play that she had written by herself yeah. and and produced yeah. and music and songs for. Because if you if you look at the if you look at the face that she presents to the world, which is just made of punching and fuck yous, it really doesn't make any sense that she's written and directed and coerced all of these people into a creative endeavor like this. Unless you consider it to be just an exercise in torture and like okay. dominating others. <laughs> one thing I one thing I do really enjoy about Helga's whole deal is that as much as she's in love with Arnold and as terrible as she is to him, it's never implied, at least I didn't ever think so. It's never implied that like her treatment of Arnold is the whole like putting you know like dipping the girl's pigtails in the ink well like pushing a girl to to show you like her like it was never her aggression towards him was never misplaced affection her affection towards him is genuine but private her aggression towards him is very real as is her aggression towards everyone else i mean and she talks about a lot of the times when she goes on to her little speeches she says oh arnold how i hate you but how i love you like, it's not like, oh, exactly. I love you, and that's why I'm being mean to you. It's, no, I fucking want to punch your face, but also, uh, exactly. let me kiss she has She has very complex, distinct emotions. And, uh, you know, as we, as we mentioned briefly, her home life is not great. And I think, I think there's a real reason that nine-year-old, you know, six, seven-year-old, however old I was, Casey, uh, really could not parse. I think there are some real signs about her emotional state and her ability to handle her own feelings here. Yeah. But at least she mostly does channel it into art and then also into punching. So that was the first half of the first episode. Next one, we meet Eugene. What happens next? <sighs> okay. So, uh, this one, like, I think is a really introduction to kind of the crazy Zadie characters, uh, that Arnold is going to be friends yeah. with and that Arnold is. There's a little more personality. And it's a real introduction to Arnold's character as well. Not, not just like, and when I say character, I mean who he is as a person yeah. and the way, the way he needs to move through the world to be who he is. Yeah. Um, you meet a bunch of, of geeks and nerds, uh, a lot of familiar yeah. faces. Some so there's a character Billy, who I think morphs into what would become Sid, because uh, Sid yeah. wasn't a really thing. They're voiced by the same person. They kind of have the same personality types. Uh, Billy is a little bit more of a nerd. Uh, has a worm collection. Uh, you meet yeah. Billy's a proto. Uh, you meet uh, Sheena, who is definitely going to produce a Tony Award-winning Broadway play at some point in her life. Yes, yeah. um, absolutely. Okay, Brainy, uh, who was shown in the last episode, future Me Too recipient, uh, yep. stalker, and frequent yep. someone who gets punched in the face by Helga. Uh, Deservedly so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and see, the, the thing, the implication there is kind of that he's Helga's Helga. Yeah. Like that he's, he's a less restrained version of what Helga is to Arnold. Yeah. And uh, I think her aggression towards him is 100% that she doesn't appreciate being shown that part of herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, uh, this is this is something I, I, I felt compelled to write down. What the fuck is nougat? Why the fuck is he offering it to them? And why is yeah. it fuzzy? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get that either. Nougat... <laughs> I'm I'm not 100% sure what nougat is, and I never have that. Uh, All I know is that it's delicious. Uh, nougat in, like, candy bars is, is like, a paste bar formed from ground-up nuts and egg whites. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, oh, I okay, I'm here for it. That sounds delicious. Yes, please. Yeah, but that's not what it looked like. It looked like he pulled out, like, uh, what are those fucking... It looked, red... looked kind of like, like Mike and Ike's. Yeah, Mike and Ike's are, they're uh, jujubes. I think they're what they're called. A little called. bit, like like just in a those, in a weird gray blob. In a that that definitely looks like like a dust bunny or like weeks sure of, of of pocket lint. Uh, and then you meet Eugene, which I think is the best introduction for a character uh, like Eugene ever. Uh, yeah, he comes in uh, hot red bike, like like smoking, like uh, got his cool shades, his cool his cool. Helmet, all that stuff. Parks his car. Everybody's gathered around, and he has like an eternal wedgie in the back yes. of his 
his like his his waistband is tucked in, all that stuff. Um, right, he's got his shirt tucked into his underwear, which is pulled yeah. up halfway, like, over his waist, which, yeah. for reasons I can't articulate, I don't know where I first saw or how I first became aware of this, but that is, like, that's the tarot card for not geek or nerd in the sense of smart guy, but in the sense of, like, zero social skills, zero self-awareness, yeah. uh, probably gets beat up a whole yeah. lot. Yeah, uh, and he his the license plate. He has a vanity license plate on his bike, and it says "huge" y o o j, which is super good. He got this bike. He got this bike because his family <laughs> exchanges gifts on Flag Day. Yeah, I, I got really like like uh, really jealous. I'm like, I wish my family exchanged gifts on Flag Day. I wish my family Me recognized too. Flag Day. But honestly, we're not those kind of Americans. Okay. We're not. So, There's only one flag I salute, and it's that of the Klingon Empire. So this is something I've noticed, and I've watched this episode tons of times. Um, sure. And I really like, like, I'm going to I'm gonna do this while we're doing it. Uh, this episode goes to great pains to show just how unlucky of a person Eugene is. Like He's a real cosmic butt monkey. Yeah. Yeah, everything happens to him. He's a disaster magnet. But the way they play it is, is always that it's kind of his fault. Like, like, Ah, uh, he's just unlucky, and that's what happens. In reality, right. like Eugene has like a litany of lawsuits that he could mm-hmm. that he could place against several people and several things in this. Oh yeah. So uh, I'm going to Arnold, do, Arnold, not least among them. I'm going to do a running <laughs> count and see if we can figure out how much money uh, Eugene could possibly make. Uh, <laughs> As we go like through the this series? episode, yeah, throughout the uh, oh, this, this episode, episode and the series, like I'm going to keep a okay. running count of this because I think this is uh, an interesting recurring theme. Uh, so, and this is what this episode touches upon: uh, Eugene is a jinx. Eugene is unlucky, uh, and they really kind of solidify it within the first thirty seconds of that episode, mm-hmm. in which, which is interesting because traditionally a jinx does not have bad luck. A jinx is bad luck. Yeah. Right, like a Jonah on a ship is is not like something to whom bad stuff happens. They are the they are the source. Go ahead. This is very interesting because there is a later episode in the series that touches upon that exact thing you're talking about, in which nice. Eugene reveals to Arnold, "I'm not the Jinx. You're the person who has put bad luck on me my entire life." Yeah, which is honestly kind of the point of this episode. Yeah. Later on, Arnold Arnold reflects. Okay, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, okay. So, do, do you have your calculations there? Have yeah, you already done I this math, or are we going to take a research break? We're just going to talk about it. Uh, I'll I'll figure it out uh, in the next episode. I will probably give you the actual total. But I'm going to point out okay, things cool. that are definitely like no, this is definitely something that he has a lawsuit for. Um, yeah. So the the series of unfortunate events begins when Eugene parks his brand new bike into the bike rack in which his lock fails on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arnold, being the jinx that he is, uh, yeah. uh, knocks over knocks over bikes, uh, which sends Eugene's new bike flying into a tailspin and gets caught up by a, sweet, a street sweeper um, yes. and destroyed. I don't understand why... The janitor threw the bike away. <laughs> Except, thank you! I wrote that down! That's not his property! Yeah. That's not his bike! He doesn't get... Like, if something gets to a certain percentage of busted, it doesn't automatically become janitor property! Like, what? Come on! Okay, so that's that's dist- that's wrongful destruction of and property. And the kid is it's crying Arnold, and but... pleading with him. Yes! Please do not throw away my bike, mister! Please! No, my bike! And, like... Why, why, why? What does it do for you to just throw this bike exactly. away? What do you gain by this, sir? How is Eugene supposed to get home? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the show, again, plays upon the melancholy. Uh, they leave school. It's raining. Like, like, yep. just sad, depressing. The music is all soulful, jazzy. The music is so good. Yeah. And so much of the show is synchronized to the music. In in ways that really blur the line between in a later episode, um, one we'll talk about later, like there's music playing in the background and then 
Arnold hits his, you know, remote control jazz button in his room, and the same music, but like a, like a more full arrangement starts playing in the episode. And there's a term for that, it's, it's diegetic sound, that's, you know, sound that's in-world as opposed to sound that's given to us as the audience. And this show plays with that so well, and the music, again... You know, we're not doing anything original by talking about how great the soundtrack of Hey Arnold was, but it was just so unlike anything I'd ever heard at that point, and used it uh, just in ways that were unlike anything I'd ever seen to this day. Like, nothing, no other show, I think, has ever had quite the relationship with its music that Hey Arnold had. Um, this is also the first introduction to Arnold's bedroom, which I think was yes. the envy which... of every oh. seven-year-old in the world. <laughs> it was the temple of coolness. First of all... It's in, like, an attic. It's not an attic, but it's in the place where an attic would be. Like, it's at the top of the boarding house building where he and his family live. We haven't been introduced to anyone yet. We don't know anything about Arnold's living situation. Except that his bedroom is completely isolated. Like, there's one way to get in. It's a long staircase that he can control. It's got a skylight. It's got track lighting. He has got a water cooler full of fish and a remote control bed, and it is just fucking Xanadu. It's incredible. Like, like a stereo system that, like, even me to this day, like, is super jealous of. For real. Yeah. Just remote control tunes. His bed or couch is sometimes remote control, depending yeah. on the episode. Don't yeah. worry about it. Um, yeah, it's real good. So, Arnold deciding that all of this is his fault takes Eugene's bike home and in another in another example of like the show kind of letting Arnold be whatever he needs to be for the sake of the episode or have whatever skill set whatever competence he needs to suddenly he has both the tools and the know-how to like completely disassemble like he's got saws and metal shaping tools yeah a welder like a, a professional a, a professional like body paint set from for like a car yeah like like just completely redoes uh eugene's bike perfectly yeah he frankensteins it into a whole new thing and this is the beginning of a really interesting theme um arnold arnold is lawful good and arnold has a strong moral drive uh which looking back was kind of a huge influence on me not not to say that i'm i think like i'm an extremely moral person or anything but that i have these ideals and these ideas and these standards that i want very much to live up to and arnold is that guy he has these standards to which he binds himself that like this is my fault i need to make this better and he simply will not stop until he does so and a recurring theme is that Arnold sometimes tries way too hard to undo some very minor piece of damage he has done in, in someone's life or in a situation and ends up making it much, much worse because he simply can't accept. He can't accept that sometimes you just make mistakes. Sometimes everything just goes wrong and you have to move past it and trying too hard to fix it only makes it worse. Okay, so Arnold gives the bike to Eugene. Eugene speeds down a hill. Uh, Arnold's yes. pet pig, which also is I, something I just loved, was Arnold doesn't have a dog. He has a pet pig named Abner, nope. Abner, Abner. Uh, who is the best damn pig uh, a boy could ask for. Um, comes with he the really brake is. cable. Now, here's the thing about the brake cable, and I noticed this. I didn't notice this in the first time I watched this episode. Um, the bike starts falling apart long before Eugene needs to brake. So. Correct. Even if, like, Abner didn't put the, like, even if Abner didn't have the brake cable, even if Arnold didn't forget to put it in, uh, mm -hmm. Arnold's a nine-year-old. Of course he doesn't have the, the skills necessary to actually competently weld together a bike. Right. So, it, it, it starts to fall apart, the handlebars break off, like, like, wheel starts flying, like, like, Eugene breaks every bone in his body. Every bone in his body. The the writing in this show is so good. There's a bit uh, where Eugene, he says, I'm a bird. I'm a plane. I'm about to be hurt very yeah. badly. And then crashes. And uh, it's it's so good and so... it's This isn't a show that takes a lot of opportunities to wink at the camera. Like, it's not, it's not a very fourth-wall-y show. It's very invested in the fiction of its world. But that, that was a real just kind of look to the audience. Gulp moment. This is uh, lawsuit number one. Uh, okay. I think, I think this isn't like one of those... I'm going to sue you for a million dollars, but at the very least, uh, Eugene is entitled to 
his medical bills to be paid for by Arnold. At the uh, very because, least, yeah, it's a it's because, a it's a hot McDonald's coffee situation. Uh, yeah, it's 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 negligence less than it is anything kind of malicious yeah, intent yeah. of course well i should think i should think this would be lawsuit number two does he not have uh, a suit against the school or at least that janitor for unlawful and uh un unrightful or wrongful i suppose uh destruction and throw away yeah, of his bike the, the, which the, was his the, property the, the uh the bike was an act of god like like well, no, no, no. It's being destroyed was an act of God, but it yeah. being thrown away was yeah, a choice I, I, by the janitor. I wouldn't say that's a lawsuit. I think that's a fireable offense for the janitor. But okay, like, a reprimand, and, certainly. Like, Eugene was fully within his means to just grab it from the dumpster. Like, it's not yeah, like that's it was incinerated point. and stuff like that. So yeah, it was it was more symbolic yeah. than anything. It was it was the the final emphatic declaration that this thing he loved had been taken away from so, him. So Eugene breaks every bone in his body, gets sent to the hospital. Uh, Arnold yeah. shows up, and like uh, pretty much every sitcom before it, when a person is in a body cast in a hospital, uh, crazy things ensue. They're gonna get hurt a lot more. Uh, I saw this in a Laurel Hardy sketch. Uh, that same kind yep. of stuff was happening. And so Arnold, Arnold ends up hurting Eugene a lot more, and becomes just absolutely obsessed with what he considers to be his failures yeah. to this friend of his. And we get we get a litany, we get a flashback of like every accidental wrong or harm that Eugene has suffered at Arnold's hands. And like there's there's a bit when they're doing just like art, and Arnold is making like glitter or macaroni art or something, and he made a Buddhist wheel with the eightfold path on it, and it was like a half second joke, but it was there, and it made me so happy. And then Eugene ate some paste. But um, again, like Eugene has repeatedly said, Arnold, dog, you are fine. Don't worry about it. We're cool. And Arnold has decided again and again, no, your forgiveness isn't enough. I need to solve this to my satisfaction. And every time he tries to do so, he goes way overboard yeah. and it gets way so, worse. So he, he, after he leaves the hospital room, uh, him shutting the door causes the number nine to switch to a number six. And, yep. uh, nice. Eugene gets an accidental, uh, tonsillectomy, which is, and splenectomy, uh, which is definitely like, Malpractice lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah. Like, I think you need your spleen. I think that's not one of those things that you should not have. You do not. You don't. Strictly speaking, you don't need it. It's good to have, right. but it's one that you can you can definitely handle okay. the loss of it. Okay. But that's not the point. The point is, there was no reason for Eugene to lose his. So he's he's lost several of his organ yeah. meats. Yeah. And Arnold shows up saying, "Look, dude, I feel terrible." Uh, I'm gonna give you the greatest day ever. It's gonna be a good time. And we get, like, a photo montage sequence, which yeah. is such a fun bit of format. I'm really, like, trying to place where I've seen that before. Like, I really feel like this is in reference to something. Uh, it really does. It feels like a shout-out to something, but I can't pin it down. Um, part of it, it kind of reminds me of the Cheers theme song. Uh, sure. just the way the photo montage is, but I really feel like, like, this is like a shout out to some old movie, some old sitcom, some old something. Right. Uh, it's something I definitely want to, but, but like, it's, it's number one, it's a brilliant way for the studio to cut back on costs for what is undoubtedly yep. the second episode of a series that they're not sure is going to go past the first season. Uh, let's do a photo yep, montage. Trying to make it as cost efficient as possible. Uh, and through this, you see a litany of lawsuits uh, waiting for Eugene to happen. Uh, he falls through a manhole cover, uh, which, why is a city employee not uh, leaving a manhole cover open without any kind of protections? Lawsuit there. Yeah, for real. Uh, he is. Yeah. City got deep pockets. Let's take a bite of that. Get some of that jingle jangle up in this piggy bank. Uh, they go to a baseball game where they see. Uh, is it Mickey Kaline? Is that the person that that they they go and see? Like, no, it was like his name was like Spuds McGee. Oh, or Spuds something McGee. Like that. Okay, yeah, it wasn't Mickey Kaline. I thought it was Mickey Kaline. No, uh, they see Spuds McGee, uh, Eugene's baseball hero, who uh, hits Eugene with a, a runaway. Yeah, fly his ball. baseball hero whose baseball card was the one he pinned to the spokes of his new bike as a final 
as like the the final sealing measure saying i am the bike and the bike is me we are one behold yeah uh it's so good uh they go get hot dogs and eugene starts to choke on a hot dog and arnold and again the 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 montage format makes this so much fun because there's like you know a, a three to five second jump between each photo so like Eugene chokes on the hot dog, Arnold runs over to the hot dog vendor, hot dog vendor hands him a copy of Heimlich Maneuver instructions, which are on a chain attached to the hot dog cart. And then Arnold spends, like, two separate photo montage slides just leafing panickedly in a panic (laughs) through the Heimlich. (laughs) And I feel like that's probably another lawsuit, right? No, no, because Eugene took too big of a bite out of his hot dog. Like, like this was all of his own volition. If he took smaller bites, if he learned to properly chew, he wouldn't get a lot. Like, that wouldn't be a lawsuit. But he's a child, yeah. and there's an adult running. I mean, like, does it does an adult not have an obligation, moral if not necessarily legal, to attempt to help a choking child? Yeah, yeah I am. I, uh, this is why I'm going to look it up. Like next episode, I'm going to give you a running count of how Go much for money. It. Uh, well, and I, I guess there's the question of whether, like, if that guy owns that hot dog cart, that would be one thing. He could act as an individual. But if he is an employee of a corporation, like, you know, Vendors of Paradise, a real uh, Ignatius J. Riley type who's a, an employee, then, uh, you know, he's not acting as an individual. He's acting as an avatar of the company and maybe couldn't take the risk of slapping a kid on the back when he's choking. Who knows? Could be worse. Um. So, yeah, he has the hot dog. They go and they... Uh, oh, Arnold gives... Uh, uh, Eugene the Heimlich maneuver, hot dog that was lodged in his throat, bounces out of his throat, bounces off a statue, gives Eugene a black eye. Yeah. Which, which again is Arnold trying to make something better and making it worse, a recurring theme. Which, I, I mean, most of these are situations where if Arnold just chilled out and, like, kind of forgave himself for being imperfect things would be a lot better but no this was this was a scene to intervene in right i mean he shouldn't have just let eugene choke on a hot dog yeah um uh they go and they continue on with their day like i think this is the thing that i really love about eugene is is save one episode he has this optimistic spirit that literally cannot be killed like like right no matter what bad thing happens to him, he's always looking on the bright side of life. He's always, like, 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 thinks of the best of the world. Like, is in awe of what Arnold is doing from him. And I think this is something that, that they kind of briefly touch upon. This kid's a nerd. This kid is a geek. And, and right. you get the sense at the beginning that he is almost completely ostracized by, by his peers. So, yeah. so even though all these bad things are happening, just to have someone who I know in, in Eugene's mind is like the epitome of cool, because everybody right. thinks that Arnold is the epitome of cool. Uh, exactly. Just spending time. The and freaks, making- the geeks, the dickheads, they all think he's a real righteous dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just that, that like even, even a day where someone tried to be nice to him and it ended up in horrific injury and near death is better than a usual day for him. Yeah, like he 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 loves it. There's a bit I wanted to talk about because at the at the very end of the montage, Eugene ends up barfing over the side of the pier like you do. We've all been there. They went on the ferry, it didn't go well. And the barf sound <laughs> is super it's super echoey and it's super spacey and it does a really good job of like helping you envision that these barfs are like when you just like empty a bucket of crabs on the deadliest catch, just pouring them out, just like splattering down into this area (laughs) below. And all the money, all the money that didn't go into those animation, the sound design in this show is. That's what happened. They're like, okay, you know what? You either get the barf or you get an actual sequence of events that happen. Exactly. And they said, fuck you, James J. Nickelodeon. (laughs) We're taking the barf sound and we're taking it to the bank. And, but seriously, like the sound design throughout this entire show is consistently really uniquely incredible. And I think it, it gives a lot of flavor that you don't see just anywhere else at all. But anyway, Arnold tries to apologize. Eugene says, dude, this was an incredible day. And he lists off like just the simplest things, but in such a wholesome way, he said, I got to eat a hot dog in the park. 
I got to go to a baseball game. And it's like, he's talking like he's never been allowed outside before. And how just the, and in that way, Eugene's embracing an appreciation of what are really small, commonplace things in life. Uh, just make him a really wholesome, relatable character that I think any of us would be lucky to know. Uh, unfortunately, however, um, uh, Eugene gets one more, one last lawsuit before the episode ends. He's waving yep. to his friend, and the negligent bus driver decides to close the door on his already broken hands. Yep. So the bus driver closes the door on Eugene's casted arm and just drives off, and that's a pretty good goof. But the point is that as the bus drives away, Eugene's baseball card, the card of Spuds McGee or whoever it was, the self-same card that was attached to the bike at the very beginning of the episode, flutters out and lands at Arnold's feet. He picks it up and says, oh my god, Eugene's baseball card. Uh, I'll give it to him tomorrow. And that's just the end of the episode. And that's Arnold having learned his lesson, right? That's Arnold saying, you don't need to fix everything right this second. It's okay. And that was probably the good call. And admittedly, like, as a grown-up, I'm I'm more equipped to see these lessons for what they yeah. are than when I was a kid, right? But it's still, it's really smooth moral coding. And um, it was also just a great watch. The show's just a lot of fun outside, like, how well-made it is, how good the storytelling is from a, you know, from a creator-storyteller perspective. Uh, it's It's just a blast. And... Even if this podcast never achieves a measure of popularity, just like the chance to rewatch something I care about a lot and uh, talk about it with my best friend is just a real delight. And thank you for doing this with me. Uh, so do you have any? Oh, you're welcome. Sorry, I was uh, on another. No, no, that's OK. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, any like uh, notes that you wrote down of specific beats that you maybe want to mention before we, we close this up? Any funny like observations, stuff like that? Nothing I didn't bring up at the time, I don't think. Uh, Let me see here. Arnold's room is just so fucking cool. I can't get over it. It's so good. Uh, the music during the uh, during the photo montage, like, almost had a Twin Peaks vibe to it. Yeah. Like, it was something you'd hear playing at the double R or, or something. I don't know. It, it was very strange and lent kind of an otherworldly aspect to it. But, um, no, I think I talked about everything I wanted to. What about you? People downtown sure are friendly. Uh, they sure are. I think that's that. That was I think such a great like like uh, what's the word subversion callback. of expectations uh, at oh, the yeah. beginning, and then a, a great callback later on. Uh, I definitely think it was the only the only thing is uh, they could really easily have rule of three that right. There could have been a third instance where like. Uh, Zamboni, after having been bamboozled out of his three bucks fifty by these two kids, like something else could have happened. Like you could have, he could have shown up at the bar or something, and somebody bought him a drink or something. He's like, wow, people downtown sure are friendly. I just, I'm a big fan of Rule of Three, and I think it was kind of a missed opportunity. But I also get that these are twelve minutes long, so. Uh, no, I think that's it. Yeah, because everything okay. else is for the cool. next two episodes. But yeah, uh, this was fun. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us, friends and neighbors. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this. Uh, we certainly enjoyed making it. And if you have any uh, thoughts or questions or comments, uh, feel free to reach out for us, as always, because um, I don't do drugs. My addiction is creating Twitters for podcasts, which may or may not ever exist. So uh, by the time you hear this, there will definitely be a Gerald Field Report podcast Um twitter handle out there and you can certainly at us yeah, and like like uh show us your observations if there's something in these particular yeah. episodes that you caught on that maybe that we didn't, didn't catch uh like yeah like i think i think the thing about these first two episodes is uh they're real introductions to the series which is why we kind of went play by play instead of just really talking about like like theory or whatever you want to call it behind these yeah. episodes uh bigger picture as stuff. we as we get into later episodes we're gonna get deal with heavier things so if there are observations yeah. or if there are things like in film theory that you've noticed or or, or things and just kind of whatever your field is that the uh, you Botany. want to to bring up to us you know we'll be more than happy to talk about it if you have any questions for robo romanticism uh, if you have any uh uh questions for us or uh, get your degree uh Feel free to yeah at us at us at us like the at wind whatever uh, our podcast uh, I'm assuming it's going to be at 
the Gerald Field Report. Uh, Something similar. Uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah, and you can uh, you can check out our other projects. Um, the Semi-Automagic Podcast Network is our umbrella network where all of our dumb shows go. You can listen to uh, me and a couple of our buddies play D&D over at Dyson Virtue, and uh, the show where me and my buddy Nicholas go over uh, the Sherlock Holmes canon, the final podblum, uh, is definitely up by now, so you can go check that out. And we would love to hear from you. Uh, subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, join our Discord yeah. server. Uh, I think is the contest still going on? Do you know? I don't know. It'll probably be gone. No, the then. art contest. The uh, no July's art contest is over because July is over. But uh, there will certainly be new new contests and content coming up. Generally speaking, if you join and support the Semi Auto Magic Patreon, uh, there's bonus content. There are. Um, you can listen to shows that we tried to make that didn't quite work. You can listen to some alternate stuff and outtakes. But the main thing that a lot of people seem to enjoy is that if you uh, become a Patreon member at any level, you don't have to meet like a particular minimum or anything, but at any level, you get access to all of the next week's shows a week early. So you could be listening to next week's episode of this right now. So head on over to patreon.com slash semi-automagic and uh, give us some of your money if you feel like it. No pressure. Don't you worry. These shows will always be free because that is the best price there is. All right, dollar buddies. Uh, we will see you next time. And until then, Thony, let's get on a bus and head downtown yeah. see what we can find. Yeah. I heard people downtown sure are friendly. And there's number three. This is what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> there it is! Yes! <laughs> we made our own magic! <laughs> Bye, all our buddies. We love you. Bye.